Hey, take the notebooks if you would and pass them down. Take out your note cards. We want to continue in a focus um, that I believe God's really wanting us to gain some understanding about. And it's simply the concept and idea and revelation of prayer. And today I want to give you um, some really practical advice and understanding as we uh, understand really we have a role. How many of you believe you have a role to play in bringing God's will to pass in your world? Can I just take a quick vote, a poll? How many, let me ask you again. Everybody look this way and think for a second. Concentrate. I'm asking a question as you're passing the book. How many of you believe you have a role to play in bringing God's will to pass in your generation? You believe. I mean, we, you know, go to these prayer events and, and all the time, like the, the focal point verse of those is what? If my people who are called by my name, right? Let's say that together. If my people who are called by my name, because what we want to do is we want to blame all the bad politicians or all the bad people in the world or all the criminals or all the darkness. We want to blame all the darkness for all the badness in the world when the fact is the Bible never endorses such an idea, but we kind of land there when we don't get our theology right. The Bible doesn't say if the bad people who are not called by my name would get out of the way, then the church would really thrive. What I see is that the church thrives in darkness even more than it thrives in light when we look at the history of the church. How many know you're a secret weapon from God sitting in that seat today? Come on now. Like your amen releases something in the atmosphere around you. Your clap, the Bible says, hisses the enemy away. So like some people say, well, I'm not really comfortable clapping. I, I really think you should learn to get comfortable clapping because the Bible describes that as a weapon in the hand of God Almighty that pushes the enemy back, forces the enemy back. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So what is the role of the church in partnership with the will of God? And that's what we need to understand. And, and here, this gets a little deep theologically. I'm not going to go too deep here, but, but let's just kind of get on the same page on this concept. Varying views at different places, depending on how you interpret things. But does God's will just automatically happen in our world? Because like, you know, some people step into the realm of the sovereignty of God and the Romans hate he foreknew and he predestined, and so they take the concept of sovereignty and predestination and they blend all that together into an idea that erroneously teaches it really doesn't matter what you do, God's will is going to simply come to pass. But I, I want you to understand even the if variable that I just introduced to you in Chronicles suggests that that's faulty or questionable at best. But if you read 2 Peter 3, 9, you'll find that it is not God's will that any should perish. How many of you know it is not God's will that any should perish? But many do. So obviously, and we just need to understand that, it's not very often that God actually gets his way. Would you agree with that? Like how many of you in your own life you can attest? It's not very often God gets his way. I mean, if he really got his way, what would our lives be like? If he really got his way, what would our world be like? What would our city be like? If God really got his way, it's not his will that any should perish. And there are some that would suggest it's actually God's will, and he created and designed some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. And, and we reject that as theological error. 
And so we're going to break that down and, and, and see it from a little different standpoint today. Um, and I'll start it this way to kind of give you this concept and idea. Um, there's this prophecy in Scripture about the coming of the Messiah in the book of Isaiah. And it says, and here's, here's a little interaction. I'm going to prepare you this time because you guys have really had a hard time with your interactive muscle so far this morning. We're going we're gonna to just prepare you. I'm going to ask, ask you a question here, and I want to see. This is Bible quiz. Are you ready for Bible trivia? First test, teachers here. Now we're going to have a test. The Bible prophesies the Messiah would come and the government would be upon his shoulders. Most of us know that verse. Just touch your neighbor's shoulder. If you don't really know your shoulder that, or your neighbor that well, then uh, you know, reach around and touch the other shoulder and say something like, just say something like, I know your feet are tired, girl. You've been running through my mind ever since you sat down. Just say something. <laughs> I'm going to help you out here. There's a lot more of those. I'll just sidestep and move right on. Um, the shoulder. Like when you touch, just touch your own shoulder. Go ahead, touch your shoulder. So like your shoulder is not your head. I know this is basic anatomy, okay? Your shoulder is not your head. The government will be on the head. No, the government will be on the shoulder. And Jesus is the head of the church, but we are the body of Christ, and the shoulder is the body. And there's something about the authority of God that rests with the body of Christ. And next week, we're going to break this down. I'm going to show you something really remarkable in Scripture about the authority that you and I have actually been given by God to bring God's will to pass in the earth, in our lives, in our family. How many of you want God's will to, be, to happen in your life? You've been given authority to bring that to pass and declare God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is God's will for your life? What is God's will for your family? What is God's will for your future? Well, I hope God's will really comes to pass. You're not built to merely hope like the world does. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Come on. We need to rise up in authority and declare God's kingdom and God's will will come to pass, and we have a role to serve in the midst of this. We are co-writers, if you will, with God who's authoring the story which is the focus this year for our school team story. The government of God, the authority of God, rests on the body of Christ. And I, you know, this is just an important thing. I, I, my wife and I, 26 years ago when we got married, we devoted ourselves to the purposes of God in the body of Christ. How many of you know the body of Christ has some issues? Right. The body of Christ has some issues. The bride has some blemishes. How many of you have ever been frustrated or hurt uh, or abused in church? Can I just see, like, church let you down. Let's just hold, hold them up high. Hold them up high. Church has disappointed me. Church has, how many of you are married? Enough said. It happens. Any relationship, you understand? Any relationship that's a meaningful relationship from God is going to have issues. And we need to not back away from that, but actually engage and understand, you know what? God must have, because the enemy only attacks where he's trying to drive you apart so that he leaves you less effective. So the church and understanding our role in the church, like I know some people hate the church. I talk to people often. They find out I'm a pastor. Man, I'm not into organized religion. And, and uh, you know, I mean, they, some people just hate the church. 
Don't buy into that. Jesus doesn't hate the church. Jesus loves the church. Say that with me. Jesus loves the church. How many of you want to be like Jesus? Then we need to love the church. Beyond her faults. Beyond, I mean, love me. I've got some faults. We, we, the closer we get, you're going to find there are great weaknesses in my life. And you the same. But that doesn't mean we abandon each other. That means we embrace each other, and hopefully as a result of our connection and relationship, we all become a little more like Jesus. And Jesus loves the church. And here's the thing. If, if you just kind of go on this journey, this is very uncomfortable, and I understand. But the crucifixion of Jesus, I want to just give you a piece of this. I haven't even seen the passion of the Christ. Like, we've seen the passion. Like a lot of people have seen the passion. And, and, and it's a great uh, depiction of the crucifixion, but it doesn't go far enough as I've looked into even in research the medical description of the crucifixion It's far more horrific than you could ever imagine uh, even described uh, and, and depicted in that particular movie and film <clears throat> but uh, here, Here's just one one piece of this when when the Bible says Jesus was whipped with the cat of nine tails That's a whip with nine strands going off of it and embedded in those strands are bone and rock and, and it was not uncommon in, in Jesus' day when somebody was whipped with that. If you saw the passion, did you remember? And that whip hit the table, and it stuck into the table, and then he yanked it, and a chunk of the table came off. You saw that? That, that actually was very purposeful because it was very common. As horrific as this is, it was very common when people were subjected to the cat of nine tails for those components in the whip to actually lodge into the bone and literally rip a human being's rib out of his body. I mean, this is horrible. So Jesus suffered this, and literally after the cat of nine tails, uh, then the, the victim's back from shoulders down is gone, and, and shreds of the back are hanging down to the calf. I, I know this is very uncomfortable and, and terrible to hear, but it gets worse. And I think it's really important that we take a look at something today as we evaluate the nails that were pierced in to the neurocenters of the feet and the hands on purpose. Like, they weren't just haphazardly put. They, these were skilled executioners. They knew exactly where to put in the most painful points of the human body. And, and crucifixion was commonly death by asphyxiation because when you're hanging like that, you can't get breath in the bones and you're in searing pain and you push with your feet. And so all those nerve centers are, are screaming at you as you raise up to get a breath of air. And that hurts so bad then that you let off of that and then it pulls on these and you're up and down with your back ripped raw on that rough timber. I'll, I'll stop there. But let me assure you, I could go on for about 20 minutes and describe to you what these physicians determined as the medical description of the crucifixion, and it would make you far more uncomfortable than I've made you right now. Here's my point, and you need to understand it as we get into this today. Jesus did not suffer and die that kind of a death so you could merely go to church and make it a part of your convenient lifestyle. Church is not another institution that you ascribe to or you have a membership to and you make it when it's convenient. The eternal priorities of God are purposed in your connection with the body of Christ and you need to find your family and you need to devote yourself there and you need to put roots down there and you need to change your world and leave your world a better place in the context of the family of God. We are going to leave our world a better place. And we have a great responsibility. And if you don't understand what that looks like, 
then I invite you. We're going to host a luncheon, and it, it happens to be 911, September 11th. It's called Discovering Destiny, and it'll help you understand, and I'll give you very clear understanding who we are as a church, what our accountability structure is. Every pastor, every eldership structure needs accountability. We've learned over the years more and more how to be more responsible with everything that God's asking us to do. You need to understand that sort of thing. You need to understand what you should expect from church leaders, and you need to understand what God expects from all of us. And so that luncheon is designed. It's called Discovering Destiny. And if you'll take your merge card in the back of the seat, and just drop it in one of the giving stations or give it to someone in the lobby, get signed up for that, then we would love to host you in that luncheon to give a, a more thorough explanation of who we believe God's asked us to be as a church family. We're very serious about our mission as a family. James chapter 4, verse 2. This is part of why we're so serious. You do not have because you do not ask God. How many, let's be honest, okay, let, let's kind of step in this a little bit together. How many of you said, I'll pray for you, and you never did? Raise your hand, sinners. Come on, all of us, right? I mean, it happens. Like, I'll pray for you, and that's why I try, when somebody says, will you pray, I try to just pray right then, because if I say, yeah, I'll pray for you, then so many times, you know, like you get on down the road and you don't even think about it, but, but it is important that we pray. I mean, what a crazy understatement. It, it is important that we breathe. It's kind of the same concept. In fact, prayer is to the spirit what air is to the body. And that breaks down in both the Hebrew and the Greek language. It's really wild. But literally, uh, you, you need to pray and exchange with God to experience the life he's designed you to experience. And there are some things that you will not have if you do not pray. Do you believe that? I mean, you do not have because you do not ask God. There are some things God will not do that God wants to do if we do not pray. So, like, I'm not trying to club you for being bad because, like, we all need help in our prayer life. Can I get a witness? I mean, let's just be honest. We, everybody in this room needs to take at least one step forward in their prayer life. And man, I'm on a mission. Something's been awakened in me. And, and when we first started down this journey, I knew this fall was going to be a focus where we'd step into greater places of prayer, deeper places of understanding what intercession and prayer is all about. <clears throat> you and I are a part of God's plan to bring God's kingdom to the earth. I like evaluating common theology that doesn't really communicate accurately what God was revealing uh, and, and really help people to understand that concept. But this is one of those things. Pray to receive Jesus so that you can go to heaven. So commonly taught and believed and understood in the church world today. And I understand, you know, reducing the deep theology to an understandable expression. But you just have to understand something. God never sent Jesus so that you could pray a prayer and be rescued out of the earth and get to heaven, God sent Jesus so you could be a part of the sons and daughters of God that brings heaven to earth. The plan's not a rescue plan, an extraction plan. The plan is a takeover plan. God's kingdom has arrived in the earth. Jesus said, when you pray, say, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Not let's get everybody to heaven. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. What is your assignment? First blank, if you write it in. God is writing a story. 
And we have an amazing assignment from God as co-writers with him. The Bible says, Romans 8, 17, as God's children, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Literally, we are co-writers. And it does start to get a little interesting to figure this out, and none of us have this figured out. I certainly don't have this figured out. I'm coming to you with as many questions in my challenges today as I have answers, but I do know God wants us to take our voice and activate something in our world that releases something of an atmosphere of God's kingdom that produces all kinds of release of healing and deliverance and salvation and wellness and restoration and a binding of division and a release of unity and the power of God and eternity visiting this earth. You and I are a part of that mighty army. Somebody amen. We are a part of that. Our words mean something. I'm going to show you how uh, clearly this is in Scripture. First, just an understanding of what keys are. You have your keys with you? Like if you have keys and you can hold up a key for me, how many know the key is not about the key? The key is about access to something. Keys have never been about keys. Keys are always about access. When you got the car, they gave you the key, not because you wanted the car. You didn't pay all the price for the, I'm sorry, not because you wanted the key. You didn't pay all the price for the key. You paid a price for the car, and the key just gives you access to the car. What is it that we have access to? Matthew 16, 19, I will give you the keys. It's your next blank. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the government of heaven, the authority of God. That's what rests on the shoulders, the body of Christ. Whatever you bind, you, whatever you bind, understand you have authority to bind some stuff like what you have authority to bind some stuff do you believe you have authority to bind some stuff do you have you believe you have authority to lose some stuff because like the bible says what you bind on earth is actually bound in heaven and what you loose on earth is actually loosed in heaven when was the last time you just took some time to bind the enemy from your household your family your situation and loose heaven and the power of god to be released in the midst of everything come on my sons and daughters are going to grow up and know what it is to walk with jesus i loose that today I bind the enemy from distracting them and derailing them from the eternal purposes of God. God's given us a very important assignment. I don't know the fullness of how this plays out, but I do know we have a great responsibility. If my people, some things you don't have because you don't ask. He's given us keys We unlock doors that access God's will in our world, and we lock doors that protect people from the enemy. And I believe most of us as Christians, I mean, let's let's just think about what Christianity is. Christianity was born as a Jesus movement. That's where Christianity was born. Christianity was born as a Jesus movement, and you've got these people that were uh, tortured, early Christians tortured in the Roman Colosseum burn at the stake while onlookers watched this taking place and they were willing to die as opposed to deny their faith in Christ. How many of you glad that's not where we dwell today? But they were willing to die. And Nero is, uh, in history we read, Nero literally put his fingers in his ears while they were being burned at the stake. And he said, why must these Christians sing while we kill them? What a crazy thing. 
they were singing. And I, I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? There were three Hebrew children, and when they were thrown into the fire, Jesus was there with them, and it seemed like they were doing pretty well. Maybe Jesus was showing up in that moment with them, and they were experiencing eternity in such a way that whatever was going on in this world didn't even have an effect on them. I, I don't know, but what I do know is history tells us that those Christians were singing at the stake, and people in the stands were jumping out of the stands to run to certain death because they did not want to miss a window of eternity that was being opened by God's people in that moment in time. And the challenging question for you and the challenging question for me, what is it about our lives that inspires people to say, I'm willing to lay everything down for the greater purposes of God that I might experience the eternal ramifications of what God desires to do in my life and my world? All of this started as a Jesus movement, and somewhere over the course of time, we've institutionalized this thing. And the more institutionalized, the more organized, and the more we've deviated from understanding the Jesus movement that God was establishing in the earth. And I want to say to you, we are the Jesus movement of our generation. We are the Jesus movement of our generation. We are the voice. We are the sound of heaven in our generation. And we ought to make a sound and declare God's kingdom has come. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are not called to merely be thermometers on a wall judging the climate of our world. We are called to be thermostats that say, if it's not what it needs to be, we will bring change. If my people. What does God want to do in you? It's a challenging message today, isn't it? Like, you can't just walk out of here and say, that was a good one, Pastor. <laughs> like, you're either going to really like this or you're really going to hate this. But either way, I want to make sure we all walk out of here with an understanding. There is a sense of obligation that we need to get a better picture of as we walk out the will, plan, and purpose of God. What does God want to do in you? What does God want to do in your life? What does God want to do in your heart, in your mind? What does God want to do in your household? What does God want to do in your family? What does God want to do in your legacy? What does God want to do? And is God allowed to do that? Are you participating in what God wants to do? Are you prayerful? And I'm going to give you some practicals. How? We're going to get there. Don't, don't, don't abandon me, okay? Don't give up on me. We're going to get there. But are you allowing? What, what does God want to do in your classrooms this year, teachers? What does God want to do in our jobs, in our vocation, our career, our offices, our neighborhoods? What does God want to do in the different places and relationships that exist in our lives? And do we have any obligation or responsibility in all of this? D.L. Moody wrote a list, and I want to talk to you about making lists today. D.L. Moody, Moody wrote a list, and he said, I want to believe God for salvation of lost friends. He listed 100 people that he knew that did not know Jesus Christ. And my understanding of the whole scenario is he devoted himself daily for the rest of his life, to pray for that list that they would come to know Jesus. How many of you believe that if somebody's praying for you, you're more likely to come to know Christ than if somebody's not praying for you? Can I just see you believe that? So how many of you have lost like friends or loved ones? 
And so if we believe our prayers actually affect that, Mike, then we got to evaluate how are we targeting and praying for them that they might come to know Jesus? Because D.L. Moody made a list of 100 people. Listen, not all of them came to know Jesus while he was praying and alive. Only 96 of them came to know Jesus. While he, the 96 people on his list of 100 came to know Jesus while he was alive because he was praying for them. The remaining four accepted Christ at his funeral, all 100 came to know Jesus. Come on, your prayers make a difference. So, so prayer, like what is prayer? Like, I, you know, I, I know, vain bulges, right? I'm really hyped today. I'm sorry. I try to calm down. Actually, I don't. I'm just not a calm person in general. Um, and, and that's just me, Okay. But some of you are more calm, and some of you are, like, way crazier than me. Uh, but, but understand, you know, we're all our different people, aren't we? Like, we're all I- interesting. We'll just call ourselves interesting. Just look at your neighbor and say, you are so interesting. Okay, that's a really good way to put it. And so, like, here, here's something I do, just understanding prayer. Um, I, when I go somewhere, when we go on vacation or we go, you know, to visit overnight, then normally I select a spot to pray the night before, and then I like to get up in the morning early before everybody's around and go to that spot. And that's kind of like my place alone with God. Well, I've done that for years in Muskogee where my in-laws live. And, uh, and so like, you know, they get up and Lawrence is gone to be with God. Right? And that, that's kind of, the, it's kind of the feel, right? He's gone to be with God. And then I come back and of course, you know, I always put the veil on so my glowing face doesn't freak everybody out, right? Uh, never have had to put the veil on, by the way. And so, you know, I go and find my place. Pray. And, and one day, my father-in-law, he was having a conversation with me. And, and I could tell he was saying, he was, in this, in this conversation, he was, he was almost expressing a sense of inadequacy. That his prayer life wasn't as elaborate as mine. And, and he said, well, yeah, you know, I pray. Because I said, I'm going to go have some prayer in the morning over at my spot. And I love this spot. Like, it's a spot now. It's a gorgeous spot in Muskogee, out in the woods. And, uh, and there's water there, and, and I was saying, I'm going to go do that. And he said, yeah, uh, you know, I, I have my prayer list, and I could tell almost a sense of inadequacy. Here's my list, and he showed me. My name was on there, for which I'm grateful, all of our family. And he said, you know, I basically just pray this, and, and he told me what he prays, and it's pretty simple. And, and, and I, I thought, well, man, that's, that's awesome. Like, he's praying for me daily. I mean, come on. You got a father-in-law that's willing to pray for you. That's because he loves his grandkids, I'm just telling you. <laughs> and so, so, you know, I get up the next morning and I go to be with God. And there have been times that I've gone to be with God and I've fallen asleep at the prayer spot and I come back and they think I've been with God. <laughs> and actually, Charlie, one of our elders, Charlie Glaze, uh, helped me with this one day. He said he, was, he fell asleep in prayer and he felt like he was so ashamed and told the Lord, I'm so sorry. And God challenged him. Think about this. Our Father, which I, he said, God just spoke to him. What father would be upset with a child for falling asleep in his arms? You know, I think we're way harder on ourselves than what we should be. I don't think we really understand just how loving, generous, and gracious God is. And it doesn't require much to do a whole lot. Like, he just requires a little bit to do a whole bunch just to encourage us. That's just the nature of a father, isn't it? He's a good, good father. And so I'd been out in my prayer spot, and I was there in my prayer spot, and I felt the Holy Spirit say... Gene woke to pray, and his prayers are making a difference. 
I don't know if mine weren't, or, <laughs> but I, I felt the Lord say that. And so I shut, I closed my Bible, put everything, and I drove all the way back, left my spot to go in the house to see, was he awake? Because it was earlier than he normally get up. And there he was with his list in hand. And I walked into the house and I said, this is crazy, but I was praying and like, instead of the Lord engaging with me in my prayers, he told me about how awesome your prayer life is. And I said, I really think you're making a bigger difference than you could ever realize. How many of you have heard, church family here, you've heard me, this was actually born out of the conversation where I said, I think a lot of us pastors, when treasures and rewards in heaven that the Bible clearly says will be given, I think a lot of us pastors are going to be sent to the back of the line because we don't even really understand the values of God. And we as Christians really need to wake up to this. I'm not talking about as a pastor. My, my spiritual maturity has nothing to do in the eyes of God with sermons I preach. It has the willingness to do with my humility and my brokenness and my willingness just to be a child of God. We all got to get this. And so I could tell tears in his eyes as I said, I think you're making a bigger impact than you realize. I mean, it really was impactful to him. So, so let me ask this question. How many of you, like when you prayed, the, how many of you prayed to receive Jesus? Can I just see? We can pray if you haven't right now if you want to. But you prayed to receive Jesus. Like how many of you, when you prayed to receive Jesus, it was wild, like passionate? Anybody? Like passionate prayer. Hold them up there. Look at all these passionate prayers around here. Woo! Like you're the Pentecostal salvation people, okay? Not everybody's Pentecostal salvation. Now, some people like grow into that. Some people grow out of it. I don't know, whatever that is. But but, but like, I was one of those guys. I came into a church, and I mean, I was broken. You know, life was not what I wanted it to be. I had my two-tone mullet, walking in, trying to be as cool as I possibly could. And like, when I walked in the room, eternity met me there, and I sat down and began to cry like a baby. And I was begging somebody to give an altar call just so I could stop crying because I didn't even know these people. And like the guy, Jim Burkett, gives the altar call, and, and I, I, I run to the front. It's a big church. I run from the back, and a guy named Johnny Caulfield standing there. And I mean, I cry and snot all over his clothes. It was, it was awful. And, and he said, just pray this prayer with me, Lawrence. And he goes, dear Jesus. And, and, and it went something like this. Oh, dear Jesus. <laughs> He said, I'm a sinner. Oh, you know, I'm such a sinner, Lord. I mean, I was, I'm not exaggerating, I was crazy in my prayer. I think the father looked at the son and looked at me and looked back at the son and went, (laughs) not necessary. I hear you. How many of you prayed a prayer and it wasn't that elaborate prayer, it was just more of a sincere prayer? Can I just see? Raise your hand. Which is better? I want you to hear this verse. Colossians 2.6. So then, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. I want you to relax. I want you to not try to be somebody you're not. It's a real waste of who God created you to be when you're trying to imitate somebody else. Just be you. But in the same way you were saved, continue to live in him. How were you saved? Faith stirred in your heart, and you made a sound. You believe in your heart, and you confess with your mouth. 
You believe in your heart, and you make a sound. Will you say that with me? Believed in my heart, and I made a sound. Let's say it again. I believed in my heart, and I made a sound. That's the way you were saved, the same way you were saved, so continue to live in him. Make specific and strategic lists. And if you feel like you need to weep and wail and cry and snot and all those things as you pray, you go for it. You'll be in my club. But if you think that a more poised approach and just a sincere expression that's, that doesn't even make your nose run at all is your prayer life, then you go for it. God's just looking at the heart. He wants you to believe in your heart and make a sound with your mouth. Listen, Leonard Ravenhill said, five minutes, five minutes inside eternity, and we will wish we had sacrificed more. We will wish we had wept more. We will wish we had grieved more. We will wish we had loved more. We will wish we had prayed more, and we will wish we had given more. How many of you believe that's true? In the same way you were saved, so continue living. So, so now, this is what we're guilty of. Pastors are guilty. I get you revved up with what? What? We need to pray. Can, can we agree? We need to pray. Have I convinced you today, and has God been having a conversation with you? We need to pray, right? We do need to pray. But the what doesn't really empower. The what inspires. It's the how that empowers. So let me just give you a couple of ideas on how. Scott Burcham. Scott Burcham showed me his prayer lists um, a few weeks ago, and he has this app called Business Tasks. And you can download that app for free, and he puts names on there, and you check the checkbox uh, to get the name prayed for, and, uh, and, you know, that's his list. That's the way he does this. So what I want to do is walk you through some lists that I just started going back and looking at the lists I've prayed at different times, and I'm going to show you those just so you can get a picture. And if you go to our blog, destinychristian.com, the blog, then you will actually be able to download all these, and I've got them, you see I'm preaching from my phone, have all my prayer lists screenshot size for my phone, and you can take a look at that, keep them on your phone when you're waiting, uh, you know, whatever it may be, sometime you're sitting in the doctor's office and you got this wait, it's a great time just to sit there and pray, and in just a moment, we're going to pray together exactly the way uh, I want to encourage you to do that. But, but take a look, the first one is the daily prayer. This is my daily list. And yeah, I know it's kind of small, but that's, I've got my family listed. So I words over specific uh, people in the family out to the side. So I begin to pray by name. So there's Tracy at the top. My number one prayer partner is my wife. And so I just begin to pray. Every day, that's where I begin. And sometimes I go to the bedroom if she's sleeping, and I just lay my hand on the door from the bathroom side and just pray over her. I do that for the girls. But I just pray. say, Lord, I just pray for Tracy today that she would be well. She would be strong. She would know her God and make her God known. That she would have health in her body and wellness in her spirit. And, and then I just kind of pause there. And if God wants to speak anything more, then I go on. But that's pretty much it. Just a covering and a blessing. I go through each of our family members. You can see there, uh, you know, my parents, her parents, my sister, my brother, their, their, her sister, uh, and, and my niece, you know, just the whole progression. And then the next group is spiritual family relationships. And under that, I have a list of, of uh, you know, mother, father spiritually, sons and daughters spiritually. And then pastors and leaders, those are churches we're connected with. Who's God connected you to? Let's go to the next list. So, you know, just relationships. And then the next list shows strategies next list strategies and I found this from like when the kids were really young 
they were just born. Actually, Lexi had just been born, and I found this, so I wanted to just put it. And so we developed a prayer strategy years ago. And so there's faith and the revelation that something God spoke to me about her, her verse, a scripture strategy, and then like four things that were a confession of agreement. How many of you think it might be effective for you and your spouse to be saying the same thing about the same situation over and over before God? Right? So that'd be important. And there's Lexi, same thing for her. Next list uh, that pops up there. And this is going to be about having passion for God. Can I just tell you, you really need to be passionate in your pursuit of God. How you express your passion is between you and God, but you need to be all in. We really should never worship in a way that doesn't cost us something. And so here are verses, and this is all on there. You get it on your screen and like stir yourself up. Never be lacking for zeal. I, I just knew I wanted to be, I'm a passionate person. And if I'm not careful, I'm passionate about the wrong thing. How many of you are Pokemon lovers? Some of you think I'm speaking in tongues right now, but like I downloaded Pokemon and I started going Pokemon crazy. I hit level 11 and then I was ready and I was on the red team and I mean, I'm passionate. So I've got to be passionate about the right thing. So here's where I began to focus on that. My next thing is about eagerly desiring the the presence of God and the things of God. And so you get the concept, the idea, but what I'm just going to go with you to this, uh, if we could go all the way to the last one, Psalms Actually, Psalms 19. Why don't you stand with me? Let me show you how to do this. Pastor Steve was here this last week, and he identified with me. He said, there's an area that I discern God wants to work on your church in this area. And this Tuesday morning, as we gather at 6 a.m. to pray in this room, we're going to begin to address that. And I want to share with you in detail what that is at 6, but it primarily deals with our willingness to surrender to what God's wanting to do out of our own belly. Like worship, listen guys, hear me. Worship is not savoring a song to see if you're going to interact with the song. Worship is, this is my God, and I will make a joyful noise to my God. Prayer is about an expression of my mouth. So pray it with me. Here, I want to invite you to this ancient pathway David was on in Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. How many of you know God is awesome? Come on, why don't you with your own mouth right now just declare, God, you're awesome. Like, let's just pray. Just begin to pray in your own words. God, you're awesome. You're amazing. You've made the heavens. The glory of God is revealed in the skies. Verse 2 says, day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Come on. Lord, you're speaking today. God, you are speaking and making declarations with all creation to capture our attention. How glorious are your sunsets. How fascinating are your sunrises. You captivate us, Lord, when we look upon your wonderful creation. With the voice of God, creation reveals who you are. The law, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes, listen, before I go on, our generation has institutionalized our faith in such a way 
that going to the church is more like going to the movies than it is like going to the gym. God doesn't want us to gather together to see how entertained we can be. He wants us to gather together to see how strong we can become. We are the Jesus movement. Sickness, deliverance, all those things God wants to release in the earth, it's in us. So hear this declaration. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. That's where we just begin to pray. Lord, thank you for the wisdom of God that abounds in my life. Thank you, Lord, for the strength of God. You take simple people like me, and you begin to pour out the eternal wisdom of God that we might be known in the earth and marked by God in the minds of others. How many of you think it's powerful to pray on those ancient trails that have been revealed throughout the the ages? Father, we love you and we thank you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Come on, if you're not where you need to be in your relationship with Jesus, I want to ask if you would just be bold and lift both your hands in a place of surrender. You know you're not serving the Lord, and you want to make a decision today to take a step in the right direction, not having it all figured out, but taking a step in the right direction. Just hold them there. Thank you, thank you. Yes, yes. Anybody else? Just quickly. I just know I'm not where I need to be. Thank you, sir. I know I'm not where I need to be. Yes, ma'am. In my relationship with Jesus. Come on, everybody pray this prayer out loud. Say it with me. Lord Jesus. You're the giver of life. You came, you lived, and you died a painful death. It wasn't, say this out loud, it was not so we could merely go to church. We want to be awakened to the purposes of God. You're the Savior of the world. You're my Savior. I need you. Awaken me to the eternal purposes of God. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, 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 amen.